And welcome back to this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Show here on SportsGospel.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We're happy to have you back with us for episode 121, Darren and Andrew on this week's show. And we we have to jump right into this. The news of the week came out not long before we recorded. Aaron Rodgers going down four minutes into his New York Jets career out for the year with an Achilles injury. I didn't get to see much of this game. The joy of watching Monday Night Football on the West Coast when you kind of miss an entire half of football. But I, as soon as I jumped on my phone and turned on TV, this was the talk of the sports world. And I'll, we'll get your take on this as a, as a diehard Packer fan. No matter who you are, you have to feel a little bit bad for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Like I, the Jets have to have sold their soul to Satan or done something to just curse after curse after curse on the Jets. I was one who bought in. I thought Rodgers was going to bring a fire to this team, and they were at least going to be a playoff team, maybe not win the very tough division. But I thought Rodgers and the Jets would at least be in the playoffs, and now they're scrambling. We'll get to more what uh, what the future holds for them here in a minute, but we want to talk about what happened and just kind of the the ramifications. But Aaron Rodgers, I would argue, is one of the two most recognizable players in the NFL. I think he and Mahomes are one and two right now, whichever order you think is first. Top five most famous athletes in America right now. I would say Aaron Rodgers is up there. Now he's out for the season, and who knows what this means for the future of his career. But Mr. Mister Packer, what? how did this feel for you? Uh, it's kind of sad. Um, in more ways than one, right? Being an Aaron Rodgers fan and a Packers fan at the same time, it's sad. This does very much likely end his career. You don't really... It's really tough to bounce back from this kind of thing earlier in your career. Much harder to do it at the age of 39. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think Aaron will try to make it back maybe, but I, I don't know. I could just see him saying, well, that's kind of it. It's been decided for me. Um, I'm moving on into retirement basically. So um, it's sad in that regard that, those were the last four plays of his career and he tore his Achilles in the last four plays of one of the last four plays of his career. Um, as a Packers fan though, being uh, the true Packers fan that I am, I'm sad because he's not going to play 65% of the offensive snaps because <laughs> that's what uh, the Packers needed him to do in order for that second round pick to become a first round pick. So I know that sounds really cold to say, but uh you know, the Packers lost out on a little bit here, too, not just Jets fans. So don't feel just sorry for the Jets fans. Feel bad for the Packers fans who lost out on their first round pick. And I, I again, I don't want to make light of this and sound cold, but the man who sacked him for this, Leonard Floyd, spent some time playing where? Chicago. With the Chicago Bears and that long running Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears. And it is a former bear who gets him again, total freak thing. Not like Floyd was gunning for him. This wasn't a bounty gate situation, but just that weird kind of cosmic how paths intersect type thing. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to, I know I said this to you in private, but I'm going to say it here, but <laughs> we knew the Jets line was bad. Right. And I eventually, I kind of had this feeling going into the season that because the Jets line was so poor, at pass blocking um, for sure that something was going to happen to Aaron because a lot of people thought that he was going to be 
I don't know why, but just this rejuvenated guy that was going to be able to move around like he could back in like 2014 when he won MVP back in 2014, but that was nine years ago and he's lost like two or three steps since then. And so he, he's not really able to extend plays or use his legs the way he could maybe more in the prime of his career that is gone. And so you have to invest a lot in the offensive line. And so people made a a big deal about green Bay, not getting him wide receivers. And I understand the criticism to an extent, but you're, you're mostly wrong about that if you're criticizing that. But the one thing you can't criticize that green Bay did really well was they always put a really great offensive line around Aaron Rodgers. They always had an offensive line that could pass block really well. And especially later in his time with Green Bay, because they understood that Rodgers didn't have the escapability that he had earlier in his career. So I I don't understand what people were thinking when he goes to the Jets and they see Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, Alan Lazard, whatever. Understand, it looks like he has more weapons there than he would have if he had stayed in Green Bay, but the protection wasn't there. And that is part of the reason why things ended the way that they did and i don't i don't think that's news if you watch hard knocks or listen to anybody in sports media talk about hard knocks they kind of openly aired the laundry about the jets offensive line and the troubles they were having they signed a lot of guys the last couple of years to try to fill those holes and it doesn't look like it's quite worked i'm still holding out hope that elijah vera tucker can be the guy but that's just one guard and they were relying on a, I think it was Dwayne Brown was in, and he was once an all-pro fantastic player, but he was also, I think, 38 heading into this year. That's a lot of miles on offensive line tires. So there's trying to plug holes there with the Jets, but everybody knew about the offensive line woes. I did want to ask you about the other thing that a man that I suspect you hold in high regard, David Bakhtiari, played a long time with Rodgers in Green Bay. Bakhtiari, the uh, I don't know if he's legendary status Green Bay left tackle yet, but he blamed yeah, the turf there. So, okay, where he's 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 made it Forrest Gregg level iconic offense or legendary offensive line for the Packers. Yeah, he's up there. He's one hundred percent up there. But he came out and blamed the turf, and we hear this more and more in sports about how all these athletes are begging to get rid of all the artificial turf out there and go back to natural grass. And this is what did in Robert Griffin the third a decade ago. But Bakhtiari came out and said, fix your turf. If if this was real grass out of artificial turf, this would have been far less serious. I don't know how many other people have jumped on that bandwagon, but he seems like a guy who would be an expert on the subject. Yeah, I mean, I'd have, we'd have to do some digging, right? But I do get the sense that these severity of injuries do happen more on art, artificial turf rather than grass. Um, and can I just clarify, well-kept grass, because... If we're talking about not well-kept grass, we're talking about Soldier Field. So just I'm just throwing that out there. Soldier Field is, is notoriously bad at their upkeep. Right. So, I still... But well-kept, a well-kept grass field, uh, like a Jack Trace Stadium, perfect sure, example. Yeah. National well- champion turf grass winners or something. Yeah, of, of a perfect example of a well-kept grass field that um in so doing that's like the perfect surface to play football on 
right? So I think that's what Bakhtiari is saying is like there's there's not a lot of a lot of give. There's not a lot of cushion with the turf. It's a little bit unnatural of a playing service and grass. He thinks would be a more natural playing service, and I agree because that's what all football used to be played on. I would happily see them go back to that. I even just running around like I do playing rec sports, flag football or played slow pitch softball on fake grasses. Yeah. Real stuff feels better. So that's one of the beautiful things about basketball, right? Is it's hardwood. (laughs) It's universal. It hurts all the time. What I mean though, is that it's universal. You know what you're going to get everywhere you go. The court might look different everywhere you go, but in terms of the playing surface, it's the same all the time, consistently. Football needs something similar, at least at the professional level. Should be easy for everyone to agree, okay, we're all going to play on the same surface, and here's why, because it reduces the injuries to our players. Because the yep. NFL doesn't want this either. There's The Jets have five more primetime games lined up that the NFL can't flex out of. And so we really want Zach Wilson in, in primetime five more times? I don't think so. So the NFL, it'd be in their best interest to figure it out. Well, let's use that to pivot here. And what do the Jets do next? Zach Wilson, the guy who came in and somehow led them to a victory over the Bills. Looks like the Bills never got off the bus for the Monday night game. Looking at who's out there and... There's a few names that have been floating around. Um, I'll give you some of the nominees that stand out to me. And again, the question is, are these people better than Zach Wilson, the guys we consider throwing out who you look at a Mitch Trubisky or a Gardner Minshew, guys like that who have been around? The one that I'm really looking at is Terod Taylor. Stay right there in New York. Send him from the Giants over to the Jets. But if you're the Giants, you're like, oh, we're also going with Danny Dimes, so maybe we need to have a backup. Um, same with Sam Howell. I see a lot of people talking about Jacoby Brissett, but the commander's like, you know, as much as I'm a Sam Howell fan, I don't know that I want a non-proven backup behind him. So I'm looking around out there. The ones you seem to hear a lot of are Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston. Is there anybody that stands out to you is should the Jets look at this guy, ride with Zach Wilson, or go to the free agent pool for a Carson Wentz or bring TB12 out of his second retirement? Um, uh... Tom Brady would have an even worse time than Aaron Rodgers behind that <laughs> offensive line. It's it's a fun tinfoil theory once people started thinking around like oh, Brady can probably still do it. He's probably still in great shape. I'm sure he's in just fine shape. Um, but again, he came into the league slow. He's only gotten slower with age. He's not gonna he's not gonna last in that division if he decided to come back. If, if Brady's coming back with anybody this year, it's the San Francisco 49ers because Tom Brady is an opportunist. Right. And he will only come back with the perfect offensive line, i.e. San Francisco, <laughs> and the perfect complement of weapons around that, i.e. San Francisco. Perfect wide receivers, perfect tight end, perfect running back. Anyways, I digress. So we'll rule Tom Brady out. Um, but maybe the solution could come from San Francisco because the Niners started working out a quarterback named Ian Book today. Led to a little bit of speculation that maybe Sam Darnold could be on the trading block back to the Jets. Wouldn't that kind Interesting. of 
<laughs> Interesting. Um, I think maybe call the Falcons about Taylor Heineke. That might be a nice low-cost option because they don't really have the money to go big on someone um, necessarily. So I, I've seen people float crazy things like trade for Kyler Murray. The salary doesn't really work in that kind of a scenario. So it's either gut it out with Zach Wilson or make a trade for a lesser backup like a Sam Darnold or a Taylor Heineke or you mentioned Jacoby Brissett. So I think I'm a fan of just running it back with Zach Wilson because they really weren't that far off last year with Zach Wilson. And they believe that they have better pieces now on offense, right? Uh, healthy Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, Alan Lazard is there. He looked good. Garrett Wilson looks good, which we already knew um, with Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson, how good they were. And I think that's, I think that's kind of just what you do is you kind of just ride up the storm and fix the quarterback scenario next year as best as you can. Let me throw two names at you, both from the state of Texas, and they couldn't be further apart in style, situation. Case Keenum is currently number three with the Texans. They're going to give C.J. Stroud every chance. They've got Davis Mills as the backup. So Keenum's really kind of expendable. He's a veteran guy. Uh, you, you know what you're going to get with him. And Trey Lance with the Cowboys. Either one of those make you feel more confident than Zach Wilson. I would maybe be willing to take a chance on Trey Lance, but is there some sort of rule against him getting traded again? I have no idea. Yeah, because I don't think I, – I, I mean, the Case Keenum thing, it's definitely not as inspiring. Zach Wilson is at least mobile. Like, he may not be good any good as a passer, and you could say the same thing about Trey Lance, although I think he has more upside potential than a Zach Wilson. But, again, I think it's good to have someone mobile behind that Jets offensive line. That's why I think Zach Wilson is probably the best option for this year. Yeah, it's – it's kind of like doing March Madness brackets and all these other NFL mock drafts. It's much more fun to have speculative thought. I, it seems like the most boring option is probably the correct one. Stick with Zach Wilson. He knows the system. He's been there. He's athletic enough. Uh, and the weapons around him are fantastic now with a mostly healthy-looking Brees Hall, Dalvin Cook, Garrett Wilson, added a couple tight ends. you got Rodgers guys with Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb, whatever they can bring to the table. It may sound crazy, and the money would – I don't know how you'd make the money work, but that Kyler Murray idea, i let's, let's at least put a pin in that and keep an eye on how that shakes out because he clearly wants to be out of Arizona. He may want to be out of football. We don't know. And the Cardinals are doing whatever they can, so there may be something there that I'm not sure how it would work out for both teams, but let's, let's put that on the simmer in the back burner for a little while. When's that new Call of Duty come out? October. <laughs> is, is that his game? That, I don't know. If, I don't know if he was a. Yeah. Uh... Oh yeah, Kyler Murray all over Double XP weekend on Call of Duty. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's like a there's like a correlation between Double XP weekend on Call of Duty and Kyler Murray uh, performing terribly because he played Call of Duty. So. Is that the uh, is that the um? 
God, what was it called when the guy did the research on James Harden and the quality of the gentlemen's establishments in the city? Oh, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. It's some... a very similar story with Kyler and Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, there's definitely um, a trend with James Harden, but um, Kyler's addiction is just video games, which is fine. But not fine when you're trying to be an NFL starting quarterback, I guess. So you're um, making $245 million over six years. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can put a pin in that idea, but I do not think the money works. So I'm, I'm going to kind of rule it out. Should we talk about the rest of the NFL? That's not the jets. Might as well. So I did some stat reading last night while trying to fall asleep. So I don't remember my own stat, but I thought it was a fun point, but I think it was five of the last six or six of the last seven years. The team that won the Super Bowl was victorious in week one. So while while not a guarantee that I, I think you're looking at your 16 Super Bowl winners, Browns are in there, Jets are in there, Falcons are in there, Raiders are in there, Commanders, Buccaneers, they're all in there. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't. Yeah. Go ahead. Or more likely, your Super Bowl winner will be between the Cowboys, the Jags, the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Niners, the Eagles, or the Lions. Those are your seven Super Bowl contenders. I am decreeing it right now. Locking it in. Uh, Out on the Chiefs, out on the Vikings, out on the Seahawks, out on the Giants, out on the Steelers, out on the Bills. I I don't think you should so easily dismiss that team in Green Bay. <laughs> ah, they, 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 they are undefeated. I'll give them that. And their quarterback looked good playing without his top wide receiver. Um, Rashawn Gary was a part-time player, although he absolutely dominated in that role. But um, Packers pass rush looks absolutely insane. Um Rashawn Gary had a lot of pressures. Devontae Wyatt had one and a half sacks. Lucas Van Ness had a beautiful, beautiful, freakish play against Justin Fields where he chased him down in the open field and threw him out of bounds. Um, Packers pass rush at full strength looks absolutely bonkers. Um, So I and Jordan Love did some impressive stuff. Clearly got a connection with Dobbs. Had a couple pl- other plays that he could have made, but overall it was a good, it was a great debut for for Jordan Love. And again, the Bears probably aren't the best barometer because I don't think they're a very good team. But I think uh, we're in wait and see mode, and we can't just simply cross off the Packers at this point. So throw them in there with all those other teams you mentioned because I agree. I'm not out on the Chiefs. I'm not going to abandon the Chiefs or the Bengals or the Bills or anything crazy like that after week one. I'm maybe a little bit higher on the Dolphins, especially, again, big if. If Tua can stay healthy, I put in a nice preseason bet on the Dolphins to win the AFC East. I feel really good about it after seeing week one. And you really good. And this, we just kind of talked about the NFL this week because of Rodgers and we're obligated to as a sports talk show. The 
I just don't put a lot of stock in week one. You listen to any football coach, high school, college, NFL, where's your biggest growth week one to week two. Now that you've seen everybody in action, you really know what to tweak, what you can lock in on, where your strengths are. So I'm not putting a too lot, too much stock, good, bad, or otherwise, or for fantasy players, don't go tearing down your entire roster because you had one bad week. So whether it's fantasy or the real game, week one, we all just, we, we jump back in the pool. We're, we're having fun with it. I don't expect Matthew Stafford to average 300 yards per week, and I don't expect Tutu Atwell and how do we say his name, Puka Nakua, to each go over 100 yards each week. Um, now, Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill going over 150 per week, I may see that. Uh, and I don't like to see some of these guys, like TJ Watt, looking as healthy as ever, getting three sacks, Bobby Wagner, 19 total tackles, the ageless wonder for the Seahawks. So there's some things that I think the guys with proven track records are going to be there. But if you're the Bengals who got destroyed by the Browns, I'm not as worried about that. The Vikings, you dropped into the Buccaneers. Okay, I'm not, I don't feel too bad about that. Um, no, I think week one, so let's just take it for let's all be happy football's back rather than getting too invested in good, bad, or any other feelings. Yeah, I will say that there's a strong correlation between quarterbacks who didn't play in preseason and looking bad in week one. Joe and Burrow? That's n- yeah, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, Lamar Jackson, the like a few others that I'm probably missing. But it's it's not just this year, but it's going back basically ever since the preseason existed, right? Um, we saw it with Aaron Rodgers a couple times in his final two years in Green Bay. But um, yeah, there's a there's a strong correlation. So for some of these guys these quarterbacks and these teams week one is more like a preseason game. Like it's just some of them don't take it seriously. I know you don't want to hear that and you want to think all these guys take every single week seriously, but like you said, it's just a feeling out process. And I believe the Bengals started off poorly in week one last year. The chiefs had a very uninspiring win against the Texans, right? We can't, like like you said, we can't overreact to week one, even though it's what people want to do. So we can't we can't just cross off teams, or yeah. we can't just say the Dolphins are going to win the Super Bowl because they look that good. They are playing the Chargers. I may, you know, I may feel a little uneasy about the Chargers. I had that somebody else bring that up to me because I picked the Bengals in a different competition. And they're like, why would you pick the Bengals in week one? They're awful at the beginning of the season. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, look it up. The Bengals are always garbage the first couple of weeks. I go, he's actually right when you look into it. Yes. And so, uh, the Browns own the Bengals recently. They've won nine of the last 11. Huh? Um, but I pulled up last year's. So the Niners lost to the Bears in week one. The Bengals lost, as we mentioned. Um, the Jets or the sorry, the Jaguars lost in week one last year. The Titans, the Packers, there's the Cowboys last year lost in week one. So there's good teams that can lose in week one. It is not the end of the world. So don't go burn all your jerseys just because your team lost. One thing is real, though. Jordan Love will lead the league in passing touchdowns. <laughs> That's You can just go ahead and take that to the bank. I'd feel better if he had a receiving core. Uh, he does. Romeo Dobbs had two receiving touchdowns. Christian Watson is his best receiver, and he's not even in yet. Jordan there, Love is taking over. 
There is one overreaction I will allow. One fan base that I would be concerned. Uh, New York Giants. What was that? I, I missed most of Sunday's game. I was out doing other stuff. I get home, turn on the TV and it's 33 to nothing. I like the Cowboys. I don't think Cowboys are 40 to nothing over the Giants level good, but that is the one where, ooh, I, Luckily, they get Arizona this week. They get to go to the desert to play the Cardinals, so that may be a bounce-back opportunity, but that's the one team where I would be questioning yeah. what is happening with my team. Yeah, we need to see them absolutely just blow the doors off the Cardinals in Week 2. Who Cardinals are a bad team. We need to see the Giants go there and just completely blow <laughs> the doors off of them to feel any sort of good. So setting the table here for week two, great Thursday night game, which we don't get to say very often. Vikings at Philadelphia should be a fantastic matchup, but you have to have prime video to watch it. Your Packers going to Atlanta, so at least you'll have that to care about. Ravens at Cincy. Seattle at Detroit is a game I feel like won't get a lot of coverage, but should be sneaky good. Uh, Chiefs-Jags in an AFC contender battle. Uh, we'll see how the Jets look. They have to go to Dallas, which doesn't feel like the defense you want to play when you're feeling things out. The Sunday night game will be the Dolphins at the Patriots. And then we have a Monday night doubleheader, but neither one of them really stand out to me. So I think those are the games to really keep an eye on for me. It is what do the Jets look like at the Cowboys and then that Seahawks-Lions game. I am a little bit out on the Seahawks, if only... We need to know what's going on with their starting offensive tackles before we can uh, determine whether or not the Seahawks have a chance. Because they lost both of their starting offensive tackles against the Rams and looked horrible after they couldn't come back, and understandably so. Not a lot of teams have the depth to withstand those kinds of losses. The Seahawks don't. Not a lot of teams do. Um but if they don't have them, they don't really actually stand much of a chance against Detroit. So it really does matter with those with those two injuries as to whether or not I think that's a game worth watching. And like the Chiefs at Jag should be fun as well. I would not be worried about the Chiefs starting out 0-2. That could be a great playoff predictor or a preview game. Yeah. Um Again, injury probably going to play a factor there because the Chiefs kind of looked different um, without Travis Kelsey. Now, some of that is credit to the Lions defense, who I think is vastly improved over last year. They have a lot of playmakers. They have playmakers at every level of the defense now. Uh, Hutchinson on the edge. You got Jack Campbell in the middle. You got Brian Branch and maybe others back in the secondary. You've got guys who can make plays at every level of the defense now, along with the offensive guys that we know about. Um, Gibbs maybe didn't have the most inspiring debut. Laporta uh, had a pretty good debut. Amon Ra is who we thought he kind of was. So I don't know. The Lions are pretty good. But, yeah, Chiefs-Jags, I think that will be a good game as well. Uh, The Trevor Lawrence-Calvin Ridley connection looked phenomenal. It looked kind of like... Um, when Diggs first got to the Bills, that kind of a connection that Allen and Diggs kind of formed kind of instantly, that's really what Lawrence and Ridley looked like on Sunday against the Colts. Um, they looked to be really in sync, and Ridley had a really great game. And 
looks like Trevor Lawrence might go to another level with the receiving weapons that he has now with Ridley there. Keep an eye on the Jags. Legitimate Super Bowl contender, as strange as it may feel to say. Yeah, because that because Lawrence goes to another level, that is how they're going to get there. Make no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Anything else on the NFL side we need to discuss before we get to the college kids? No, I, I think we can move on to the college kids. I mean, keep an eye on that Green Bay-Atlanta game, although Desmond Ritter, I know that the completion percentage looks great in week one, but he only threw for 115 yards. And uh going to need a little bit more than that against Green Bay. It's, you know, Justin Fields is a really elite runner, um, but not a great passer. And Ritter is not quite the runner that Justin Fields is. And maybe roughly the same, maybe worse as a passer. So it really will come down to can Green Bay stop the run. Uh, Green Bay's got a great schedule to, like I like I said preseason, if they can get past this Atlanta game, I really think three and zero, maybe even four and zero in the cards. So could be could be three and zero, Green Bay three and zero Detroit in Week Four, I believe. So that's what I'm rooting for. It's a battle of three and zero teams in Week Four. So that's the only other thing I would keep an eye on. Speaking of. Good schedules. The college football world has given us the opposite of that this week. Just a weird week three. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of teams maybe taking a week off before conference play gears up. It's not a whole lot for me to discuss on the actual schedule this week, but looking at what we've seen through two or three weeks, I just want to look at the power conferences to see who looks like the real deal, who surprised you, who concerns you. We'll start here with the ACC. And the Clemson Tigers very much concern me as somebody who picked them to win the ACC and maybe be a playoff team. As much as I don't want to admit, after they got obliterated by Duke, they are basically going to have to have a perfect season getting the bounce-back win over Charleston Southern. But they would now have to run through Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame, and North Carolina unscathed to even have a shot. I'm not going to say the ACC is great, but at least through the first couple of weeks, Louisville looking surprisingly good. Florida State, as we expected, it looks great. Miami and North Carolina both looking strong. You're kind of next tier down with Wake and Louisville are undefeated. So the ACC, again, it feels kind of like the haves and have-nots here. I'm mostly worried about Clemson, but I think your top three, FSU, Miami, and UNC, look great. I kind of think ACC is Florida State and everybody else. Um, Just the way Florida State looked against LSU – I think they're they're on a whole other level. I think it's Florida State at the top, and then pick take your pick of Clemson, North Carolina, Duke, Miami on the next tier down. Those are really interchangeable. And I think we're seeing, and we can talk about this in the SEC too, I think we're seeing how um, a coach like Dabo, who doesn't, who insists on not using the transfer portal who hasn't really bought into the NIL stuff like some of these other schools and kind of suffering for it. Right. And so on the opposite side, you've got Florida state who's all in on that kind of stuff 
and they're reaping the benefits of that this year. They brought in Keon Coleman. They brought in other transfers on defense as well, and it's taken their team to a different level. So, I mean, it would shock me, but I think if Clemson were to somehow beat Florida State, I I mean, I'm not going to rule it out, but I really think Florida State is the real college football playoff contender here, and everybody else is kind of notch maybe to below that. Well, I am ready for Miami or Drake May and company at North Carolina to knock off the Seminoles. With Mario at Miami, going to have a great offensive line. This Cameron Kitchens is All-American everything. Some people love Tyler Van Dyke. So I'm I'm all in on that Hurricane team, and I just like Drake May. Uh, also, not a good week to be the Boston College Eagles. They lost in overtime to Northern Illinois, who was supposed to be the worst team in the MAC. And then they won by three over Holy Cross, who is not a Division One team. And now they get to host the Seminoles. So as much as I think Florida State's not my pick to win the ACC, they're still probably a 11-12 win team. So have fun with that, Boston College. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a complete whooping. Just complete whooping. Uh, um, you're mentioning North Carolina, but uh, I will just tell you that it took overtime for North Carolina to beat Appalachian State in what is kind of going to be a down year for Appalachian State. So just want to point that out. Drake May. I know, but Jordan Travis, <laughs> just as good, possibly better as a college quarterback. Um, also, side note, it, I, I know it goes against my own pick, but happy to see that Clemsoning is back. I feel like fans kind of forgot about Clemsoning because Dabo actually had them being, well, Dabo and or Trevor Lawrence had them being legitimately good and not Clemsoning for a couple of years. But for those of you too young to remember what Clemsoning was, it is when Clemson is perpetually ranked in the top 10 and then loses in week one to a team they have no business losing to and then rattles off 10 straight wins. So glad, glad to have Clemsoning back in the college football vernacular. Hey, Clemsoning isn't just back. Remember when Clemson football was completely irrelevant before Dabo? But that was the thing. I was I would always look at terrain. I was like, okay, Oklahoma, Texas, Ohio State, Alabama, Florida, these make sense. And then Clemson, we randomly ranked like number seven in the preseason poll and finish eight and four every year. Yeah, but what I'm <clears> saying <throat> is we're headed for we're headed for Clemson football headed towards irrelevancy. Maybe not this year, but they're they're trending in that direction when they buy their way out of the ACC in two years and become the 13th best team in the SEC or big 10. Ooh. <laughs> well, let's talk hey. about your, let's talk Go about ahead. your beloved big 10 there. Yeah. Not. Yes. Yeah. With the big 10, um, I guess we can go through it, but I think the playoff contenders here are Michigan and Penn state. Yeah, not a, not a whole lot I think has really shocked me in the Big Ten here. Again, I try not to pay attention to Big Ten football as much as I can. Good for Rutgers to be 2-0. and I Hopefully they can at least get to 6-6. Six and six. Maryland, I thought people were high on as maybe a dark horse team, and it feels like they've, they're they 2-0, and but it feels like it's been ugly getting to 2-0. and Michigan's kind of just working out the kinks till they play a real game. Michigan State has all kinds of issues that are probably not going to go well for them, and Indiana is being Indiana. Yeah, really not a lot surprising here. So far, the Big Ten kind of looks like the Big Ten, unless you want to be concerned about Nebraska. And very happy to see Washington State beat Wisconsin. That filled me with joy with the Pac-12 after dark. But 
really Nebraska being terrible maybe the only head scratcher here? Uh, no, not really. We talked about it earlier in the show preseason preview. I think talked about how Matt Rule struggles in year one, and it was going to be no different at Nebraska. Um, I mean, I guess it could be surprising to some people, but not to me. Also, not surprising to me that Washington State beat Wisconsin. Um, I thought the Wisconsin hype was a little bit too much. So I think there's a clear, there's a clear top dog in the Big Ten West, and it's Iowa. Um, and I think everybody else, you can just throw Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, Purdue, Nebraska. Um, you can just throw those teams in a blender for any sort of order after Iowa. Um, so I think, I think, uh, there's, there's a clear top dog and there's clear top two in the East. There's a clear top one in the West. Um, at this current point in time. I've said it before, but I will also log my protest. I think Penn State will be better than Ohio State. It'll be a Penn State-Michigan race out east. But what's going on with Illinois? Weren't we all getting excited that Bielema kind of was riding the ship there and they had Devin Witherspoon and those guys who went to the draft? So I thought Illinois was kind of trending upwards and then they get pounded by Kansas and are now 1-1. One and one. They lost a lot in the secondary um, to the NFL. And... They lost their defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach at Purdue, Ryan Walters, and that was a much bigger loss than what people realize. They're breaking in a transfer quarterback. I think the offense has been okay. They missed Chase Brown, though Chase Brown was kind of their their whole offense really last year, and Reggie Love and Josh McRae have done an admirable job trying to copy it somewhat, but you can't really copy Chase Brown. I think he was kind of a special player for them. So I think it's – they brought back a couple of pretty talented dudes on the defensive line, but I don't know. I just I just think there's a little bit of issue there with that, a new defensive coordinator coming in. Um, so I, I thought Illinois might be a little bit down, but I guess I didn't really expect them to be as down as they are. So um, – Everybody else in the West, about where I expected them to be at this point in time. Well, I just thought of something that I'd never realized before and never researched, so you're going to be my research. What happens when all these Pac-12 teams come into the Big Ten? Does the West shift? Are we going to have division lists? Like, are the how, – how does it make sense to say? Are the more Eastern of the current West division teams going to shift over, or how's that going to work? No, No divisions. So the divisions are going away after this year and they'll put teams in kind of sort of like pods and they'll just try and rotate the schedule around in a whatever they determine to be fair and even way. Um, I'm not even really sure if the big 10 has figured out all the logistics of it yet, but I can tell you that like divisions are going away. I don't think we're going to, they're not going to split into like four divisions or anything like that, but um, they might for like the purposes of scheduling, but not for the purposes of the standings. It will just be one big conference in terms of standings and they'll just have rules, rules for tiebreakers and things. Um, And like we've talked about before, I I've heard whispers think, I think, 
there's a really strong chance that the Big Ten decides to go to 10 conference games next year. Love it. More, just more, because, more yeah. conference, fewer powder puffs. Correct. Yeah. But that, well, I mean, more conference, but also that might mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ramifications, but basically the Big Ten is, wants to potentially shift to 10 so they can get more of the new teams matched up with their current teams. They want to have, they want to have more chances at getting Ohio state versus USC, Michigan versus USC, right? Oregon, Michigan, Oregon, Penn state, Oregon. They want those matchups to happen on a more frequent basis. And so the only way to do that is to add an extra conference game every year. Right. Well, a conference that has not played a single conference game yet this year is the Big 12. I don't know that there's been a lot of news out of the Big 12. The teams we thought would be good would be good. The teams in the middle are in the middle. And Baylor kind of looks especially bad. Questions there. Texas Tech is 0-2, which I watched most of that game. First time they're 0-2 since 1990, which sounds crazy because they've had down years, but they must play some lower-level competition early in the year. They should have beaten Oregon. Do not be fooled by Texas Tech's 0-2 record. They are every bit a top 25 team. I think they'll claw their way back in there when they get to feast on the West Virginias, the Houstons, the Baylors. I don't really know what there is to make of this conference other than maybe you feel better about Oklahoma. They've outscored their opponents 101-11. to People thought Brent Venables may be in trouble. See what happens when conference play finally kicks off here. But to me, I don't see anything real wild in the Big 12 except for that nice Texas win. Uh, TCU is definitely down. Yes. I think, I think Kansas state is pretty good yet again. Um, so I really think this conference is Texas, probably the top team. And then maybe Oklahoma and Kansas state a notch below that, which I'm not sure if that's what people expected preseason, but that's kind of where we are. And then you can just kind of, I, I don't really know. Kansas may, might be yeah. better than what people expected. Feels like they're all going to go six and six somehow. Like right. one team's going to get way ahead, and the rest are always going to be a big conglomeration in the middle. Right. Well, uh, and then Houston. Well, no, West Virginia is definitely the worst team in the Big Twelve. That's not even a question mark. Um, I think West Virginia is the worst, <laughs> and then after that, it's just like take your pick of Houston, Cincinnati, Iowa State. Um, Baylor, those are kind of the teams that are going to be kind of in that bottom rung. And then it'll be some sort of like TCU, UCF, Texas Tech, Kansas. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure, but uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of middle average teams below those top three that we kind of mentioned. Keep moving on here and focusing on the power conferences. Just want a quick stop by the independents here. Are you buying this Notre Dame team? We always expect them to be good, but they are cruising so far in the first three games. Pounding Navy and Tennessee State may not mean much, but they pretty well handled NC State. And Sam Hartman's getting a lot of scuttlebutt, it feels like, here in the early conversation. We're two weeks away from their showdown with Ohio State. I think that'll be the true barometer. But are we? Are, do we feel top four potential here for Notre Dame? Um, no, I don't feel 
top four potential yet, and I'm not sure that I will even if they do beat Ohio State, as I don't feel Ohio State is a top four team, or maybe even a top ten team. Um, I'm not I'm not feeling good about the Buckeyes through the first couple weeks here, so I think uh, no. I'm not. I'm not seeing Notre Dame as a playoff contender at this point in time. Moving on to the Pac-12, doing this alphabetically, the conference of quarterbacks—they were crushing it early in the year. I think they were 18 and 0 heading into the Pac-12 after dark, and unfortunately dropped a couple. With you know, Cal had Auburn on the ropes before dropping that one. Stanford lost to USC, so we're going to pick up a loss there. Arizona schools are one and one. This is a wide open race. We still. When the, when the dust settles, I think we're going to be looking at what we thought with the USC, Oregon, Washington on top. But DJU at Oregon State has looked amazing. Uh, Washington, who I've been downplaying all year, they were cruising. I What they did to Boise State, I did not see coming. Good to see Wazoo and UCLA playing well. And then good old, quiet, reliable Utah putting the herd on Florida early in the year. And it's like good old-fashioned physical football that Whittingham always plays. Would like to see a healthy quarterback in there for them. But right now, the Pac-12 looking good in their last year of existence. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think Utah, they're trying to go three in a row, right? Um, I think if Cam Rising gets healthy, I don't see anything to suggest that Utah can't do that. Um, USC offense has looked phenomenal, and we knew they would be, yet again, with Caleb Williams coming back at quarterback, and that's not the question, but we kind of wondered if the defense would improve at all. And the answer so far is not really. I know what they did to Stanford, but um, Stanford, first-year head coach, Troy Taylor will probably get it going at a certain point in time, but a severe lack of talent there for Stanford. Um, Washington, yes. I will admit that maybe I was a little bit down on Washington preseason, and I still think there's – potential we know about Michael Penix's injury history and just kind of hope that doesn't pop up but um, they beat the brakes off Boise State and I think that was kind of the most impressive thing that they've done because I expect Boise State to be in contention for the Mountain West title and they made them look like they were just some sort of FCS school coming in there um, which I didn't really expect and so I think uh, Washington and USC and Utah, I think those are probably your three contenders. I, for whatever reason, can't really put my finger on it. I'm not really buying into the Oregon team. And I think I might be a little bit higher on Oregon State than I was preseason. And definitely higher on UCLA than I was preseason. I think UCLA has maybe opened some eyes a little bit as well. Washington State, too. So I think this is a really great last year of Pac-12. It's kind of sad that it's ending, but at least it should be a heck of a lot of fireworks. But unfortunately, no one will be able to watch it because no one gets Pac-12 network. <laughs> yeah, the Pac-12, It. I feel bad that the conference is basically imploding. Oregon State and Washington State recently had a court ruling in their favor this week that they basically own the conference and the rest of the schools can't decide what happens to it. So that's good for them. I do hope they can figure out a way to revitalize it. Just the more stories that come out, the harder it is to be sympathetic for this conference and all the opportunities that they had. And maybe, it I don't know, it felt like hubris or got too big for their britches or didn't understand. And 
just sounds like sounds like they kind of I don't I'm trying to think of a polite family friendly verb for what they did to themselves on this whole situation that they could have been handling better for the last decade. And there's plenty of blame to go around, but it, it built built on a house of mud and they saw what happened. Yeah, they they sat on their hands when they should have been making moves. So immediately as uh, USC and UCLA accepted their invite into the Big Ten, they should have immediately the commissioner, Pac-12, George, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his last name. Okay, I'll let you say it (laughs) because I'm just going to call him George. I hear it Uh, about three times a day. All right. But anyways, the moment that that happened – or that George knew that was going to happen. He should have immediately been on the phone with Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech, Baylor, Kansas State, all of those teams, just been calling them and just said, okay, here's what's, here's what's happened. Come be a part of the Pac-12. You'll get the chance to play Oregon, Washington, Washington State. Wolf, Wolf, we'll be the third best conference. And because he didn't take that move and just sat on his hands instead, that's the reason why the PAC 12 will be no longer yeah. come next year. And Klyavkov, it basically he inherited having a seven, two offsuit poker ham while everybody else at the table was sitting with a four of a kind or a flush. And he just, he was dealt a bad hand, but doesn't seem like did made the right moves to make it better. And it's, from the school presidents to all these various people who were involved, there's plenty of stakeholders who had just the, the vibe I often got was, well, we are the Pac-12. We are we are the academic elites of America. We will not kowtow to you lower. You Big 12 schools are not good enough to be in our conference. And then everybody's like, yeah, no, this is about football TV money. And then they just couldn't get out of their own 100%. way. 100%. Yep. And they had a similar hand from the Big 12 as the big 12 does in that regard in terms of football TV money. And they, you know, big 12 has a seven, two hand when it comes to that minus Texas and Oklahoma. So, right. So, um, but yeah, basically it, it was a war between big 12 and PAC 12 as to which one of the two is going to survive and big 12 made the moves. PAC 12 didn't. And that's why we are where we are. Let's hope they go out with a bang here. One final Good season from, looks like most of them will be in contention here for a while. And I think, I think if they're going to go out with a bang, as in one of their teams winning a national championship, it won't be USC. I think it'll have to be Utah or Washington. Uh, I every, honestly do. Everybody's on the little engine that could cheering for Oregon State, though. They've kind of become the collective West Pacific Northwest fanboys are all in on Oregon State because they're the ones who suck around. I like it. It's a great story. Let's talk reality, though. It's not happening. <laughs> Go down here to the likely top national title contenders. The SEC, which I've mostly somehow been out of the SEC, have not caught up to it too much here in my football watching. As you would expect, Georgia crushing people. Missouri 2-0, good for them. Florida one and one, their team that I have a lot of faith in. They got beaten up by Utah. Hopefully Billy Napier can get things going there. And South Carolina, who with Spencer Rattler and his whatever year of eligibility he's got left, they felt like a trendy 10 win team, kind of a sleeper. They've not looked excellent. They're one and one right now, getting 
lost the whatever we call the North Carolina versus South Carolina rivalry game. Really, that that SEC East is just so tough if Missouri and Kentucky are back in there. And then out West, always brutal. Be interesting to see who rises to the top here. I still think this is Alabama's division. I, I think Texas is that good. I think Texas is a legitimate top five team. And I still think Alabama has national title hopes. I've not been as in on LSU or Texas A&M as the general consensus. Feels like everybody in the West has a shot at this thing, except for maybe Auburn and Mississippi State, and they're both even 2-0 right now. Yeah, um, I really think it's uh, Georgia and everybody else kind of thing. Um, We saw Bama and Jalen Milrow. I think he will grow, but I don't really expect him to be the type of quarterback that is going to take Alabama to the playoffs this year. And I'm kind of out on LSU as well. I really think it's a Georgia is the lone contender from the SEC and you have a lot of hope about Florida. I I don't. I think that game against Utah with a backup quarterback, absolute mess. Um, And I think guys are kind of jumping ship. A lot of hype about Tennessee, but I'm not really buying into that either. I'm not buying into any Arkansas hype, but that's just kind of where I'm at. I think Georgia is probably the best team, and I don't really think, kind of like what we talked about with Clemson, I think a similar situation applies to Bama in terms of the transfer portal and the NIL because it used to be before all that stuff kind of hit it big, maybe two, three years ago now, that Nick Saban would kind of just talk these guys into coming in and being the second string, even though they were five stars and could have started somewhere else. And with the advent of the transfer portal and NIL, these other schools are able to come in and say, hey, why are you sitting on the bench at Alabama? You could come start for me right away and boost your NFL draft stock. You don't need to sit at Alabama because it used to be that basically Nick Saban had two first strings on both sides of the ball. And he doesn't really have that recruiting advantage for himself anymore. That just doesn't exist for Bama anymore. Granted, they're still a great program, but it's not the same level of dominance that we were used to before. It makes it more fun. Let's have some fun in the SEC, open it up a little bit, get more of these teams back in here instead of just Alabama v. Georgia with some LSU sprinkled in. I agree. All right. And before we get to any mid-majors, if you want to touch on any mid-majors, we got through the Pac-12 without discussing Coach Prime. I was like, do we have to come back to that or not? We're, it's On one hand, it's a feel-good story because Colorado's been so bad for so long and was a one-win team last year. On the other hand, I'm already sick of how the media's been fawning over Dion and the Buffs and everything about them. So I just feel like I'm obligated to at least mention their name. Yeah, I think we got to mention it. Um, but this kind of hype train is running away and probably going to come crashing down at some point soon. Probably not this week though. They they're playing Colorado state and they're going to likely win that one. Um, two, two weeks from now, whatever Saturday, the 23rd, Saturday, the 23rd, they go to Austin to play the ducks. And I hope Oregon just pounds the buffs. I'm sorry. 
Happy Colorado's doing well. And they that game had higher TV ratings than Texas, Alabama. I, I just want Oregon to destroy Colorado. Just just like you say, quiet down this hype train. Let's quell the hype a little bit. You you beat a, a down TCU team and a rebuilding Nebraska team and will likely beat up on an in-state lower-level rival. Yeah, um, we mentioned how uh, boring kind of this week might be in college football. Next week might be the most, definitely the most exciting week that we've had so far because we have uh, UCLA, Utah, we have Oregon State, Washington State, we have Florida State, Clemson, we have Ole Miss, Alabama, Colorado, Oregon game that you mentioned. We have Ohio State, Notre Dame. We have Iowa, Penn State. Um, so we have all kinds of great games going on next Saturday and. That's just – I'm just going through top 25 ranked matchups there. There's but other great matchups that are not top 25 ranked schools too. So uh, next week is just like a pop yourself in front of your TV for – well, it's 11 to 11 for me essentially here in the Central Standard Time Zone, but whatever it is for you. But it's a plop your, plop your uh, butt in front of your TV for 12-hour kind of day That's next Saturday. Those 9 a.m. kickoffs are rough to make happen for us West Coast people. Um, take your whole Saturday to you want to sleep in or not do anything, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice for football. Yeah, I would be too, but uh, I'm just saying it may not be worth it this week, but next week. So let let sure. this be your let this be your productive weekend, and then the 23rd have clear your calendar. Absolutely. Uh, any mid-majors that you want to draw attention to? I don't know that there's any of them ranked right now. I think Tulane was the one hope, and they got bounced. I'm looked, scrolling down the AP Top 25, and there's no mid-majors ranked right now. Yeah, Tulane did get bounced, but their quarterback, Michael Pratt, was hurt in that game against Ole Miss. They still hung in admirably, even given that. Um, I don't know if we want to mention... Yeah, I'm not really sure who of the mid-majors is going to make a big splash here. Give me a second. I'm just looking through well, some you do of the that. major conferences. But, yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure who's going to make a big splash. Quick, quick fun side note. The top five teams are from five different conferences right now in the AP. Georgia. SEC, Michigan, Big Ten, Florida State, ACC, Texas, Big 12, USC, Pac-12. And then Ohio State is the next duplicate. So if we get Notre Dame to climb up to six, that'd be fun to have six different conferences or the independents represented. Yeah, it would be it would be fun. But I think um, that being said, I, I think we're going to get representatives from one from SEC, one from Big Ten. Uh, probably one from Big 12. I'm, I'm assuming that's probably going to be Texas. If Big 12 is going to get a team in, it's going to have to be Texas this year. Um, I'm not sure. Well, I guess Oklahoma could go undefeated too. But uh, anyways, I think we're in ACC probably. So, yeah, I think I think we're in a good spot where we may not have – two teams from one conference in the final four. Please don't let it be the SEC, if anything. Uh, I don't think so. I think that Texas win over Bama kind of kind of sealed that, to be quite honest. 
All right. So we've definitely gone over our hour, but if we want to stick around, we've got a couple of quick topics to get to. I've got a UFC, I've got a WNBA, and I've got a Major League Baseball. We can tackle any or all. Uh, let's let's go for the UFC first because I think we're sort of burying the lead here because Sean Strickland took down Israel Adesanya. A huge fight at UFC 293, and I was hoping to find a way to watch it, but I had to choose between Pac-12 after dark or paying to go to a bar to watch this. And I had people texting me, what should my wager be? Because they were getting deals like DraftKings had a deal where you could get Adesanya for plus 100. I was like, yeah, absolutely, you're taking Adesanya for plus money. I I think I wagered both sides of this and did a couple parlays through and a tie to Ivasa just because he was plus money. Again, not a not a card that I really was super excited about, but that top fight, Adesanya and Strickland, two guys who are always going to put on a show. And on UFC, Strickland was a plus 440 underdog, uh, underdog, Adesanya minus 600, a huge favorite. Adesanya lost his belt to Alex Prada, won it back, and now drops it to Strickland, who a great story, a great character. Check out Sean Strickland, UFC middleweight champion, if you get a minute. Won by unanimous decisions. A, a fantastic war between these two, performance of the night award for Strickland. I'd, I'm going to be honest, I did not see this coming. Happy for the guy. I think I, you know, happy for the $4 wager that I made on him, but a huge win for him and yeah, just a fantastic championship fight. Yeah. Um, I couldn't agree more with anything and everything you said. I, it was a, a whale of a fight. I thought Izzy was going to get knocked out in that first round. Actually, he got his bell absolutely wrong and it looked like Strickland might have just knocked him out. And furthermore, I was all over an Izzy knockout because I thought that Strickland was going to kind of come out guns blazing, but he did not. Uh, he fought a well-controlled five-round fight, and it was kind of crazy because it looked like he was in control virtually the whole time. Um, for being that big of an underdog, it was just wild to watch him just be – totally in control five rounds against the champ. Which is happy to have him here. It kind of makes me wonder what they do next. Do they run it back with Izzy right away? I'd like to see a Drickus Duplessis get a shot at it. But once you get outside of those guys, Robert Whitaker, Jared Cannonier, Marvin Vittori, Paulo Costa, Derek Brunson, these guys all kind of been beating each other up. Happy to see Strickland get there. And uh, it's a huge win. Feel Got to feel good for the guy to get to the top of the mountain and wonder what's next in that middleweight division. Yeah, that was kind of what I was going to ask you, is what do you think is next? Um, is I, Pereira still around? I mean, do we do we want to set up a Strickland-Pereira fight? He's up at light heavyweight. According to the UFC rankings, they list him as a light heavyweight right now, so I'm not sure what's going on there. There's another conversation we can get to. I think it makes sense if he wanted to drop, but if he's making a concerted effort, I don't think UFC would want to reward him with the first defense. I think they'll give it to somebody new. I think Duplessis is the guy to go with. Um, maybe Cannoneer. I need to see what Cannoneer and Cannoneer and Whitaker fought each other lately. Just, I think that's Duplessis would be my first vote. Okay. Uh, so Cannoneer and Strickland fought last December, and Cannoneer actually beat Strickland. So Cannoneer, Cannoneer lost a title fight to Adesanya, then beat Strickland. And then Jan Cannonier won a fight in June. So that, that may be the fight to. I like it. 
Yep, let's do uh let's do Cannoneer Strickland and then pending results of that, winner of that, um takes on Izzy. Yeah. Well that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I sketched this out and it's a little bit further down than I expected, so we have a little bit more time to think on it. But the next upcoming couple of UFC fights, we've got Alexa Grasso taking on Valentina Shevchenko. Grasso, the flyweight champion, Shevchenko coming to get her belt back. That's coming up, I believe, this weekend. And then UFC 294 is Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira for the lightweight strap. And then you've got uh, John Jones taking on Stipe in November at UFC 295. Stipe coming out of retirement to fight John Jones, who got fat and is now wrecking the heavyweight division. But I was kind of thinking ahead, where does that leave us building up? Because I feel like UFC 300, they're going to try to make that the biggest card ever. And if we figure one UFC fight per month, that would put that in April. Not sure if UFC would do that or push it out to later, if there's any special weekend that they would pick. Um, But I was curious what kind of fight they would go with. And I was kind of researching all the champions. We've had more turnover. There was a while we thought Usman and Oliveira and Izzy were going to be these champs that were going to have runs like Anderson Silver or George St. Pierre, but we've had a lot of turnover. Jamal Hill, who's listed as the late heavyweight champion, was injured, injured his Achilles, so now that belts up in the air. Yuri Prochaska, the previous champion, also relinquished it via injury, and there was a fight, I think it was Ankalaev and Blahovich fought to a draw, so that belt's just floating out there wide open, has not been defended. And then Leon Edwards hasn't defended the welterweight. So light heavyweight and welterweight are the two belts that have had the longest time since they've been defended. So we'll see how the schedule fills out. But I'm trying to think what would main event UFC 300 that would get the average fan to watch because you know they're going to want to put on a huge card. Yeah, you need um, you need John Jones. You need Izzy. You need Camaro. You need... Is, is that too early, though? Is is Jones fighting November and then April? Is that too many back-to-back? As, as He could lose to Stipe, for all we know. Is whoever wins the heavyweight belt in November, is that too quick to come back in April? Defend again? Yeah, pro- probably. Probably. Um, I mean, you probably need... You probably need Sugar Sean for hey, that was- UFC 300. Because that'll that'll be a nice long break for him. He'll have about seven, eight months. Because those those are the guys who have defended Sean O'Malley, Alexander Volkanovsky defended not too far. Those guys have had pretty recent title defenses. I think had Adesanya won, you would have scheduled him to have, be on that card. Um, that's what I'm trying to figure out as we schedule this. Because I think I think in December they'll have the light heavyweight bout, and I think in January you'll have to have that welterweight bout with Edwards versus Colby or Usman or whomever it may be, Hamzat Shemaev maybe. And then I think Wei Li Zhang and Thug Rose will have to battle for the strawweight belt. So I'm like, okay, UFC 300, let me know which of these fights gets your attention. John Jones versus Tom Aspinall, who's the kind of up-and-coming heavyweight, doesn't really have name recognition yet, but he's supposed to be the next big thing at heavyweight. Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz. Islam Makachev versus Justin Gaethje. Sean Strickland versus Drikas Duplexis. Ronda Rousey coming back to take on Shevchenko. I'm not sure what weight that would be. I think Shevchenko would have to bulk up a little bit. And then I was thinking about Sugar Sean. I don't know who he would fight, though. So I was like, could you do a Sugar Sean versus McGregor? I think that'd be a huge draw. But now that we've got McGregor beefed up to like 170 and Sean O'Malley down at 135, where do you fight that? What's what's the weight for that? Yeah. Um, These are great questions. Uh, I'll say no to the Rousey thing. 
McGregor Diaz, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. Just have that fight forever and ever and ever. They can never fight too many times. Right. Um, and I think this might be a great time to go ahead and get um, Patty Pimblet. There you go. Uh, in one of the like, maybe like, you know, the first fight of the night, or maybe even the second. I think this might be a great time to get Patty Pimblet in there and kind of hype him up and say he's part of UFC 300. This is one of our next big stars, Patty Pimblet. Patty the Batty. Right <laughs> is he even there. ranked yet? Is he even? Has he even made their rankings, or is he just still an internet darling? Him and like. Crazy Bryce Mitchell. Where's Bryce Mitchell ranked right at? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I yeah it might just be an internet darling, but it's a name that people know. That's for sure. Right. Um, so I really think that's what UFC 300 will be about, right? It'll be about may not be about the title fights. It'll be about having the most name recognition right in one night as possible. Because that's, that's what they did at UFC 100 and 200. They brought in Rousey and they brought back Lesnar. At, uh, I think he was on both. McGregor wasn't really a thing yet for UFC 100. Like, do you bring in Rousey and McGregor and Lesnar, who, like, all their top 20 buys all feature one, if not two of those three names? But none of them are in it right now. So is it just going to remind people, oh, we don't really have stars right now. We have to drag McGregor out of semi-retirement because we haven't built up. Sean O'Malley probably be your next best bet for the – chatter yeah 100 percent. i'm like that's like yeah. or do you like you could do a super fight with sean o'malley versus volkanovsky but do you want to do a do you want to constantly be doing belt for belts instead of a? this is the next up and comer trying to challenge the big champion for the belt yeah i'm not if they, if they can of, get if they can get yeah. nunez versus rousey i'm interested in that or yeah, nunez but, Oh, Nunez Shevchenko, that'd be awesome. That'd be phenomenal. So, um, great question, but now you've got me all excited for next April or May or whenever they decide to do it. But I'm, I'm all in on UFC 300. I just need you to sit down and sketch out the next like eight UFC cards so we can know what UFC 300 is going to be. Yeah, they need to start building up the hype for that soon. Um, they should probably release what UFC 300 is going to be in October, right? Uh, well, they've only released up through November right now. And they always do a big late December cards. So we don't even know what that one's going to be yet, but I would, I would, yeah, if they want to make it a big deal, I would think by that 296 card, they should have figured out. Yeah. So they're going to have it. They're going to have at least one, if not two championship fights. Right. Right. So UFC is going to have to do a really good job of building up some people here in the next couple of cards. Right. In order to make that UFC 300 as watchable as 100 and 200 were. Because I don't think I was really into the UFC when 200 happened. Because I don't, I don't remember 200 or 100 for that matter. Definitely wasn't around as a UFC fan for 100. Yeah, 200, I remember. don't think so. I remember 100 being a big deal, and then 200 just got – eventually it was all about Brock Lesnar and him coming back and being on steroids and making it a WWE spectacle. But 100 was a big deal. I remember that being a crowning achievement mm. for them. Let's not let's not have a spectacle. Let's have some legit fights, <laughs> no spectacles, just 
legit fights. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's where I'm at. Uh, so we'll, we've already gone way long here. We'll save the NBA Major League Baseball. I do want to give one quick uh, shout out, something we need to track here as we get into their playoffs. WNBA postseason is basically upon us. Uh, smart money is bet all your money on the aces. If you want to have a little bit more fun, I think the Connecticut Sun can do it. This basically feels like it's Las Vegas versus New York, the two super teams. Got teams like Atlanta, Minnesota having nice ears, kind of floating around 500, but still they'll be in the playoffs. It's, uh, basically aces and Liberty are your prohibitive favorites, though. If you want to get in on the WNBA, we'll have more coverage on that as their playoffs get underway. Good to know. Phoenix is terrible for some reason, and I don't know why. We'll need to look into that, why they're 9-31 and 31 when they have a decent amount of talent there. That is – you're right. That is mildly interesting. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us in this extra long, loaded show. So much in the sports world we want to get to. That's what's great about this time of year when there's about seven or eight different sports going on. We'll, we'll get some basketball previews, MLB postseason, NASCAR postseason, NHL preview. We'll keep going with UFC and football and everything in between. We thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time. Keep your stick on the ice.